Welcome to the Helium Nations podcast. We're broadcasting and recording from GYC. In this episode, I have Luami Richardson. Luami, thank you for coming to the Healing of the Nations podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, man. Can you tell me a little bit about your ministry? Yes, yeah, so I'm uh, the Harvest Director for SALT, which is an acronym for Service and Love Together. We are a grassroots movement um, that focuses on service projects down in Orlando, Florida. We have three major uh, ministries. We uh, feed the homeless. We have a kids ministry as well as a hospital ministry. So my job is as the harvest director is to kind of focus on the evangelism component. And so I'm kind of the harvest director slash uh, evangelist for service and love together. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Were you raised religious? Were you raised in the church or a little bit about yourself and you're dealing with the church as a young person? Yeah. Grew up a seven day Adventist Christian, you know, kind of uh you know, literally went to church seven days out the week, went from high finders. You know, if, if anyone ever been to a black church knows that it's an all day event, you know, so you have choir rehearsal, you have a Y, you have the 11 o'clock service, your potluck, your socials. And so went to the church school there. So I grew up in a, in a very um, religious uh, upbringing, you know, with family worship morning and evening. But of course, uh, just because you go to church doesn't necessarily your, you have a relationship with Jesus. And so as I got older, I was influenced by a lot of things that I watched and, and listened to and eventually drifted away and got involved with hip hop and music and, you know, got caught up in, you know, drugs and violence and tried to pursue a career in basketball. And so eventually, actually, it was at GYC uh, 2009 in Louisville, Kentucky, that uh, uh, God really opened up my eyes to see my condition and, and my need for him and been in full time ministry ever since. Now. You've been very vocal of what is going on in the nation politically and socially. Mm. Why have you decided to take a stand? Well, this is what I realized is understanding that my, as I continue to grow in my knowledge and understanding of Jesus, I realize that the gospel has the most impact when you relate it to the issues that surround us. And of course, the issues that, that I'm facing and seeing now, I've always dealt with, but I never fully understand or, or grasp how I can relate the gospel to the current issues. As a whole, our church seems to be trying to take the most safe approach and not dealing with more controversial issues. But for me, these are not issues that are not controversial. These are issues that we face every single day. And, and if we truly believe that the gospel is the remedy to all life problems, then we have to address it. We have to deal with it. We have to talk about it. And so I've personally, in my personal growth, have realized there's no one talking about it, yet the world is seeking answers to, this, to the problems that we face as a society and as a nation. In my personal journey, I've taken a, a stance on, on addressing those issues. What are some issues that you feel that the church should be proactive in taking a stand on? Social injustices, uh, police brutalities, uh, when it comes to... Uh, segregated conferences, all of these issues that the world seems to be uh, dealing with, we unfortunately we see it in, in the church when you see movements like Black Lives Matters and uh, counter movements like Blue Lives and All Lives Matter and all of these uh, social uprisings, these groups that are rising up, the world is trying to find answers, but unfortunately they don't have the full, complete solution to the problem. And so as a church, I've been kind of disappointed to see that we haven't really taken a stance on these issues. Um, and I understand why, because you don't want to be boxed into a, a, a certain view or, or, or a certain label. But as a church, I truly believe that we need to be 
more proactive. We, we need to be engaging, being on the offense and not necessarily playing defense. And so that's my view on, on the view as a church, as our approach to dealing with these issues. We need to be more vocal. We need to be more real about our message. And unfortunately, I don't think people fully understand how our message is relevant. And so this is the reason why we're really silent. We, we have a theological understanding but not necessarily a real practical way on how to apply it to our everyday life that we're experiencing it and really finding the solution to, to the problems that we face. What are the practical ways for how we could apply it to our lives at Seventh Avenue? Let, let's take it from a biblical approach, right? Matthew 24, verse 14 tells us that uh, this gospel shall be preached to all the world as a witness and then the end shall come. You know, we focus so much on the signs of the times, the earthquakes, the pestilences, you know, a nation rising against nation. Um, which, uh, you know, interesting enough, the Bible tells us that there's going to be uh, racism will, will rise uh, amongst the nations before Jesus comes. But the, the, the solution is that the gospel needs to be seen and witnessed by everyone, and then the end will come. And one of the things that I noticed with our ministry with SALT is that we have taken the approach of meeting the needs of the people. And it's amazing to see that once you you know, you go down to, to these places where people are afraid to go to when you, you feed these people who have no place to go, who are living in the streets. It's amazing to see that catering to them, giving the food, giving a place to, to stay, providing to their needs, how much of a lot of these problems are alleviated and how all of these, you know, tensions that we sometimes deal with, with different political views, with all of these injustices happening just by going out and actively meeting the needs of the people has alleviated, or at least uh, at least when we work with people individually, for it has really allowed us to diversify and really find this real practical solution to the problems that we face. So meeting the people, we have to go out and get outside of our comfort zone and meet people that are culturally different from us, who, who may look different from us, who may have different political views, and really meet the needs of the people. I think that's been the solution, or one of the solutions that we can find um, to the problems that we face. Now, you're from a Puerto Rican and African-American heritage, mm -hmm. but you have managed to minister to every nationality under the sun. Hmm. What do you think allow you to uh, break your conventional social modes and to reach to all sorts of people? You know, this is an interesting question. You brought this up to my intention before. I did, never realized the, you know, the diversity that I do pertain and that I had, you know, the diversity that I have. Um, and I think for me growing up in a home where I had a Puerto Rican mother, had an African-American father, uh, really was able to uh, see uh, the world in a different way uh, with my mother, you know, teaching me about my Spanish roots and really embracing it more fully when I moved to Puerto Rico when I was around 12, 13 years old. And then my, my father and, and my aunts and, and uncles teaching me about my African-American roots. It wasn't until I went to private school there. I mean, it was so diverse to see, you know, uh, Filipinos and Asians and Jamaicans and Koreans and, you know, Bermudians. And I mean, it was just, and I had so many different friends from all different walks of life that I really was able to understand, even at a young age during high school, to understand a little bit about their worldview and how, you know, culturally they do things. And so as I got older and I've been able to have the privilege to kind of travel around the world, um, I just realized that we're all the same people. We all deal with the same struggles, um, especially when you travel. We all, you know, there's poverty everywhere you go. You're going to deal with racism everywhere you go. And so trying to find uh, relating our struggle, right, regardless of, of what culture or background that you may be in, we all deal with the same issues. 
And I think because I have approached it with, hey, though I may have a different cultural background or different upbringing, I struggle just like you struggle. I, I know what it means to be stereotyped. I know what it means to be uh, looked down because you're not quote unquote educated or you because of, you, you come from a, a certain uh, background or, or a certain area. And so I think once people see that, that people can relate to you, I think is what has really allowed me to uh, be as effective as I, as I have been. So that's been a huge blessing is being able to travel and, and just see the diversity when I was younger, especially in high school. Now, you spoke about segregated conferences. Mm-hmm. What are the solutions to that, considering that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the most diverse church in North America, yet in some territories we have separate conferences for different ethnicities? You know, the most segregated time in American history is during Sabbath and Sunday worship. We can be united throughout the week, but when it comes to church service, it's amazing to see how segregated we are. One of the solutions that I think can resolve this problem is to be intentional in trying to reach out to a different demographic that we're, you know, that we're not comfortable uh, reaching out to. Sometimes we say, oh, well, you know, when it comes to the more urban community, the more, you know, poverty-restricted areas, oh, we leave that to the black churches. And, and the more uh, suburban areas, we leave it to the white churches. I, I think we need to be more intentional in trying to reach the area and the community that we're in and diversify and and if, if that means um <laughs> you know inviting a, a you know some members from a, from one church to another and and having them share their cultural experiences and just diversifying in that way but i realize that once we have a common goal once we have an end goal and that end goal is to reach souls that is going to eliminate this problem that we have with segregation and, and the issue really peter is pride at the end of the day it's it's, it's spiritual pride we we still suffer from that and until we start seeing people for that needs to be saved we're going to continue having the problems that we're having and so i I realize that once we focus on saving souls especially in our ministry when we go reach out to to people it's amazing to see peter all different people from all different types of walks of life we have spanish people black people white people filipinos asian doesn't matter we have all different ethnic groups working for a common goal and that is to reach the needs of the people I believe once as a church, as we continue to have that focus and that, and that mindset, you'll start seeing these labels and these segregated conferences diminish. Um, but until, until we have a common goal and, and we really see what, focus on what the end goal is, which is spreading the gospel to all nations, um, we're going to continue having the problem we're having now. And you and I can attest that it's more fun to reach out to other. Oh, absolutely, man! You get to learn so much. You get to, you know, it's amazing just to try different people's food. You know, the different spices, of the taste, the flavors, and and just having conversations just based on and asking questions that most people are are not comfortable asking. Just by simply asking and and, and reaching out and befriending them, you can ask those questions. It's amazing how open people are, and once you understand this person's worldview, it broadens your mindset to say wow, maybe I was kind of narrow-minded, man. Maybe I haven't been approaching this uh, situation. But yeah, I'm with you. I love meeting all different people from all types of walks of life because you can learn. And I'm always in a mindset of constantly desiring and wanting to grow as an individual. And the best way to do that is to meet people that are outside of the normal people I hang out with and, and see every single day. Now, in these podcasts, I usually ask questions, but I want to add in a thought. The reason why I ask these questions is because I myself have been greatly blessed by reaching other ethnicities and other Mm. nationalities, and it's more fun. Absolutely. And Luwami is the same way, and I think 
when we have the burden of sharing the Three Angels' messages to every mm -hmm. nation, kindred, tongue, and people, many of the social issues and baggages that whatever nation we belong to have will be swept aside and we'll learn to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Absolutely. And so I want to encourage the listeners that if you're suspicious or if you are apprehensive of reaching another nationality, uh, get out of your comfort zones. Mm -hmm. Making that effort, you'll be surprised. People will be very embracing and very loving towards you. Uh, Peter, you said it. You knocked it out the ballpark. It, it's amazing just going, you know, I had the privilege, you know, going to an Indonesian camp meeting, going to, uh, uh, to Hawaii and, and just meeting different people and just sitting down like, hey, I don't understand this. Can you help me explain it? Help me understand. And people will be willing and open to kind of share their worldview. And as they do that, man, it, it really does change your mindset on how we kind of view the world. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you 100%, man. Now, do you believe that the church right now has a problem with race and racism? Absolutely. I've dealt with it personally. I'm not going to go into details, but I, I know as an African-American male, with this, you know, and being half black, being half Puerto Rican, um, I realize I have to be, I have to work that much harder. I have to be that precise. I have to preach that message much more powerfully and all because of my upbringing, all because of the color of my skin. And I, I've seen how different situations, I've been treated differently. Um, and the person who did the same exact thing um, was treated a little differently than me, all because of the cultural background and the, and the color of my skin. So is there an issue within the church? Yes, I faced it. And there's not just me. There's a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues and counterparts who are dealing with it and facing it. And so... It's kind of hard to address it because once you do, then you're sharing the same story. It's like, okay, well, yeah, we've heard this story millions of times. Just get over it and, and, and deal with it. But in reality, it's an issue. And it's and unfortunately, Peter, is not going to change until Jesus comes uh, and until you know we receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our lives and, and truly see changes in individuals. But, yeah, it's live and prominent in, in, in our church today, unfortunately. Have you seen signs of hope where this is not an issue, where we can like model it in a bigger scale? I've seen it. Um, but again, it has to go on, a, on an individual level. You know, sometimes I don't, I don't want to have those conversations with people. You know, this, you, oh, this is how you view things? Okay, cool. And it's so easy to just leave people where they're at. But sometimes I, I want to ascertain the cause. I want to know, okay, why do you feel this way? Why do you think this way? Uh, is it because of, of the news that you're watching or because of a post that you read on Facebook or is it because you have experienced this? And you'd be amazed that a lot of these different perceptions that people have is simply based on he say, she say, not because they experienced it. And so for me, I, one of my you know burdens is to kind of try to shed that label as much as I can by being different. I can't change the color of my skin, but I can change how I treat and act um, around people and how I how I respond to certain situations. I have seen glimpses of hope, unfortunately not as, as much as I would like to see it, but definitely have seen glimpses of hope. And, and it's just those moments when you just get out your comfort zone and, and try to meet and reach and talk to people, you'll be amazed to see how open people are to wanting to have that conversation. And, and, and even those conversations are uncomfortable. Once it's had, it's so beneficial. So beneficial. How should then Seventh-day Adventists relate to issues such as police brutality, or Black Lives Matter, and so on and so forth. Because you have one camp that believes that the word social justice is a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other camp, which is more the liberal theologically camp that believes that 
social justice is something that we should embrace and everything should revolve around social justice. So what is your definition of social justice and how should Adventists be involved in issues such as police brutality? Uh, the mandate as Adventists, uh, we follow the biblical model, right? We read the stories of Isaiah, we see Jeremiah, Zechariah, we see all of the Old Testament prophets that dealt with injustices during their time. When you read Revelation 6 verse 10, you see the cry of the saints saying, Lord, how long will this injustice continue to take place? And so our message is rooted around executing true judgment to those who have received injustices. And so our job as a church is to call out the injustices. But when we read the book of Isaiah, it tells us first that we have to seek to do good and then execute true judgment, right? And so it's not based on human judgment, it's based on the judgment of God. And sometimes we have to realize that we're not going to get fair and equal judgment here on earth, that God is going to be the ultimate judge when it's all said and done. But it, it is our job to call out the evil and then to learn to do what's good. And so that's the biblical model. And that's the model that, that we need to embrace as a church. Now, there's movements like Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. Are they the answers? No, but they're addressing an issue that we know is an issue of sin. And so are these movements highlighting the issues that we are facing as a society? Yes. Are they the solution to the problems? The answer is no. The gospel is a solution to these problems. So yes, as a church, we need to address it, but then we have to show them how the gospel can rectify these injustices and the issues that we're seeing as a society. But I believe that once we are vocal, People can see where we stand on, where we take a stance on. And as long as we have a biblical stance on these issues, I believe that our church will continue to progress and be relevant in 2018. Now, should we be in line and participate in these protests or should we have our own independent way of showing or ministering in these issues? Yeah, I don't think we should be lending our support to all of these movements. Uh, unfortunately, like a movement like Black Lives Matter, do I believe in the Black Lives Matter movement? No, I believe it in the principle because at the end of the day, there has been historically injustices that has happened to the, you know, to black people and in the black community. But what they stand for as a whole, there's a lot of things that I don't agree with, you know, from a Christian perspective. So the Adventist church, as for me as a Christian, I have to do what the Bible tells me to do. Jesus, when he was in our earth, was constantly seeking to relieve the oppression and the pain and the hurt from the people that he interacted with every single day. But at the same time, when he saw the hypocrisy, he called out the hypocrisy. But Jesus is the ultimate example as to how we should conduct our lives because he was constantly doing good. But at the same time, his life testified that his sole purpose was to alleviate the pain, the injustice, the hurt of every person under the sun that he came in contact with. But at the same time, his life testified of the injustices that took place or, or the hypocrisy and the inconsistencies of the government that he even lived in. And he even called out, you know, the Pharisees and the, the Jewish leaders of that day of how they interacted when it comes to these issues. So Jesus is ultimately the ultimate example that we should follow. And so, yes, we should have a voice. Should we be joining these protests? No, because at the end of the day, they're always connected with other things that as a Christian, we don't believe in. But the principle of that these people are facing injustices, we should be vocal and share the injustices, but at the same time, get the solution to that problem. Another hot topic issue is immigration. Mm. And you and I are active in social media, you more than I. Mm -hmm. And we maybe, maybe I should get maybe I should get off for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty active as well. Right. 
But we've seen posts where Seventh Avenue's posted that if they found an undocumented immigrant, mm-hmm. they would report them to the authorities and turn them in. Right. Or that um, those under the DREAM Act or DACA should go back to their own nations. These are Seventh-day Adventists. Mm-hmm, These are mm-hmm. Some people believe the same things we preach. Right. How do you feel about that? If, any, if I hear anyone saying that type of stuff, first and foremost, I just know they don't have a full grasp of the gospel. They, they're, they're not truly converted in the sense of understanding um, what God has called us to do. Yes, we should be um, respecters of the government and the laws of the government. But uh, counsel has told us from, from Ellen White, you know, when, when slaves would, would leave their masters, that the law of the land was to tell people, well, you know, if an, a slave that escaped to return them back to their master. And Ellen White clearly said that that's the law that we should not follow and we should bluntly, you know, disobey. And so for me, when you see these Adventists who are saying, yeah, these immigrants need to go back and we need to deport them and all of these things, my first question is, are you seeing them as individuals that need to be saved? Or are you seeing them based on their nationality or their religious preference or or whatever? Because at the end of the day, the mandate that God gave the people of Israel, even when they left the land of Egypt, was to accept the foreigners into their land. And if that's the principle that God gave in the Old Testament, he said, you know, mandated that to love your neighbor as yourself. If you was in that situation, how would you want it to be treated? Especially most of these immigrants who are coming, you know, to this beautiful land uh, uh, called America is coming to try to live the American dream. Unfortunately, that you know, there's a lot of other circumstances that we don't know, but our call as Christians is to meet the people's needs and to love them first and not necessarily you know, cast them off as indifferent. Jesus will never do that. He would never do it. And you can give me an example as to when Jesus did do that. Um, and so, yeah, our, our call as Christians is to look at individuals as people that need to be loved people that need to be saved and and if we know that this gospel needs to be preached to all the world peter and they're coming here the job becomes much more easier for us we don't have to go to them they're coming to us <laughs> you know and it's how we treat them that ultimately reveals whether or not we truly have jesus in our hearts and and, and that and and the loud cry that is supposed to go out you know the light the glory of the of jesus found in isaiah 58 and in revelation 18 is demonstrated when in these type of situations when, when they need help, is how we respond whether or not we truly are reflecting the character and the glory of God. Now here's the hard question. Oh boy. Desire of Ages, page 509, paragraph 3. Ah, the famous quotation. Go ahead and read it. This is a quote that some may use to countermand your arguments. Mm-hmm. Inspiration writes, the government under which Jesus lived was corrupt and oppressive. Mm-hmm. On every hand were crying abuses, extortion, intolerance, and grinding cruelty. Yet the Savior attempted no civil reforms. He attacked no national abuses, nor condemned the national enemies. He did not interfere with the authority or administration of those in power. He who was our example kept aloof from earthly governments not because he was indifferent to the woes of men, but because the remedy did not lie in merely human and external measures to be efficient. The cure must reach men individually and must regenerate the heart. Mm -hmm. So the issue that Jesus dealt with, according to the quotation, is the issue of the heart. Was Jesus a politician? 
No, that's what we find in that quotation. Jesus wasn't going protesting. Okay, let's vote for this person. Okay, let's vote for that person. This is how we're going to find the solution through political means. Jesus understood that one, that the government in which he was living in was corrupted, but he understood that it was a heart issue that he needed to deal with. Now, this is one part of what well, this is not shared in the quotation, right? Because we have to look at the Gospels and the life of Jesus holistically. What was it that the Jewish people was desiring for Jesus to do? Overthrow the civil Roman government. Correct. Was Jesus' main focus to try to start an earthly kingdom here on earth? The answer is no. And so the very system that the Jewish people was asking Jesus to alleviate the oppression from was ultimately the same system that they used to crucify an innocent man. And so through the life of Jesus, not only did he expose the corruption of the government that ultimately executed an innocent man, because remember what Pilate says, I see no fault in him. Yet because of the response of the people, he gave what the people wanted. Jesus died as an innocent man, though they found no fault in him. But he even exposed the hypocrisy of the Jewish nation, which was complaining about the oppressive system that they were living in. They ultimately used that same system to crucify Jesus. So though Jesus wasn't saying Black Lives Matter, though Jesus wasn't saying that let's vote for Hillary or Trump, you know, if he was living in today's day and age, his life testified of the hypocrisy both in the Christian church as well as a political realm. And so when we look at that quotation, Jesus always dealt with the issues of the heart of man, but understand that he knew that there was a corrupt system and the best way to expose it was to live vicariously by taking care of people that ultimately allow the people to reveal who, what they really had in their hearts that ultimately showed what they was willing to do to execute an innocent man from both parties, both politically as well from a church point of view. So that quotation, they usually use that quotation to shut people up. Oh, don't talk about my favorite candidate and my favorite president, but not realizing that the very system that Jesus was living in showed the corruption. I tell people this when, when we look at the story of Jesus being crucified, knowing Jesus was innocent, what would the Christian church do today if we knew that Jesus was our leader and he was going to be crucified as an innocent man? What stance will we take, take on as a church? Will we be quiet or will we call out the injustice of the corruption that Jesus was experiencing as an innocent man dying, knowing that there was no fault in him? That's always a question I lay for people. And that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Jesus was innocent, yet he was crucified as an innocent man. If that would happen today in 2017, entering into, into this new year, if Jesus was living in this corrupt system and he was executed as an innocent man, would the church be silent or will we call out the injustices during that time? That's the question that I would leave with those people who like to share that quote to kind of silence, you know, when, when feel that we are attacking their favorite candidate or the issue that they don't feel comfortable in addressing. That's the question I would ask. If Jesus was executed today in 2017 as an innocent man, would you be silent or would you speak up? What did Peter do during that time? He was silent. I wonder how the story would have changed if Peter and the disciples were stood up during that time and said, you know what? What you're doing is wrong and calling out the hypocrisy. Could something have changed? We don't know. We'll never know. But I'll be interested to know what we would do as a church if that would take place now, if Jesus was living here now in 2017. Do you think Seventh-day Adventists should be involved politically in partisan politics? <sighs> Ellen White makes it very clear that we should not participate in parties, that we should not be affiliated with certain parties. We should be voting on issues, but not trusting ourselves with political parties. Ellen White made it very clear 
that we should not vote for any politician because we do not know what we're voting for. And ultimately, whatever sins that they commit in office, we commit them as well because we've given the power to be in that position. So we need to be focusing more on the issues, not necessarily aligning ourselves with political parties. And because, you know, you, you, what we do is we lump everything. Okay, well, I'm, I'm pro-life, right? I'm somebody who, who values uh, the life of, of, of babies in, in the mother's wombs. Well, the issue is if I'm voting for the Republican Party, I'm just using it as an example, if I vote for the Republican Party for pro-life, well, what about the rest of the issues that the Republican Party stands for? And the same thing with the Democratic Party. That's why she says we should not align ourselves with political parties. If we are going to exercise our right to vote, it should be strictly on issues and not aligning ourselves with political parties. That's the balancing that sometimes we miss. So, In closing, mm-hmm. you preached the message. It's on Audioverse <laughs> titled, My Life Matters. Right. Why did you preach that sermon and what was that sermon about? The sermon My Life Matters was stemmed based on all of the movements that was happening with Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and all of the injustices that's been happening within the black community. And I had to reflect, Peter, and think to myself, you know, as much as I would love to say I'm just a minister of the gospel, a preacher of righteousness, and and someone who's passionate about the three angels message, at the end of the day, when I walk out of that church, I'm a black man. (laughs) That's what I'm viewed as. And so the question I ask myself, does my life really matter? My life matters in the eyes of Jesus, but it may not matter to the world that I live in, you know, that, that I'm surrounded around. When I preach that message, I try to show biblically as to the consistent outcry of God's people facing the same injustices that the black community face. And not just with the black community, I kind of highlighted them, but as a whole, those who have faced injustices, that there's a theme all throughout the Old Testament that we see God's people going through injustices and God constantly saying, I'm going to be the rightful judge. And at the end of the day, Jesus understands what these individuals, especially within the black community, understands what they're going through when all the evidence points that they were correct, yet the verdict didn't go their way. Jesus was somebody who was Middle Eastern descent, you know, who was executed in front of his mother, who was innocent, and no one gave him the true justice that he needed. And so for me, at the end of the day, my life matters, not because of the value of what the world says, uh, how my life is valued through the world's eyes, but my life matters because of the price that Jesus was willing to pay for me and for anybody else who has dealt with these injustices in this world. And so that was kind of the premise of the, the sermon, My Life Matters. I believe that all throughout the New Testament, when you look at the Roman centurion, when you look at uh, the Samaritans, all of these illustrations that Jesus was pointing out, he was pointing out the racism and the prejudice that the Jewish nation had. And at the end of the day, he says, the solution is my love, is understanding my value the value that I see you through, through what I'm willing to sacrifice, which is my life. And so Jesus understands what it means to go through an injustice, not having the, the verdict go the way that it should have went. And so at the end of the day, Peter, my life matters not because of the value that the world has put on me, but because of the value that Jesus was willing to pay for me. And that's how I live my life. I know I'm a black man in America, but at the end of the day, my value comes from Jesus. And regardless of whatever injustices that I may face here on earth, I know that Jesus is going to ultimately, when it's all said and done, execute the true justice 
that we've all been longing and waiting for. And so, yeah, if you haven't heard that sermon, you can check it out on, on Audioverse. Uh, it's actually one of my popular ones. A lot of people really um, enjoy that sermon. And so it came from a real place. And, and so whoever does decide to hear it, hopefully they're blessed by it as well. And I can attest I was very blessed by that message. And it was a jump off point to some of my other religious liberty messages that I have mm. done after the fact. So thank you so much for sharing the word of God with your listeners. Thank you so much for uh, your boldness and your courage. Uh, I know there have been consequences, personal attacks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but but you know what, Peter? I know we're going to c- close here, but with all of those personal attacks, it's amazing that once you see those individuals one-on-one and just have a basic conversation, how all of that is diffused. And though we may agree to disagree, there's a level of respect and say, hey, I understand a little bit about why you feel the way you feel, and now I understand a little bit why you feel the way you feel. And so, yeah, there's, again, the communication via the World Wide Web is not always the best form of communication, but I believe that at least it starts the dialogue that we need. And sometimes it's going to make us feel uncomfortable. But once we pass that level of uncomfort is where we truly find the, the, the change that we need because it gets us out of the comfort zone and we can really address the issues and the problems that we face and give a real practical solution that we know as Adventists is found in the third angel's message. Praise the Lord for sharing with us here at Healing the Nations. Before we close, can you say a word of prayer for us? Absolutely, absolutely. Father God, we just want to thank you again for allowing us to talk about these issues that though uh, as a body we're not really talking about and addressing. And Father, we may not have all the answers, uh, but we know that you are the true answer to all of life's problems. And Lord, we just want to have a better understanding of your character, of your love for us. And as we continue to uh, share this message of hope and love to the entire world, We pray that people may see truly your character of love and your glory, dear Lord, that we can uh, provide a solution to the world's problems that we know that only comes from the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so thank you again for allowing us to have the discussion. We pray that those who are listening to this podcast may be blessed. And we thank you so much for all the blessings that you have given to us. For we ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.